turn in your uh, Bibles to John chapter 15. You know, I just kept on asking myself, you know, what have I done? What did I do to deserve that kind of love? You know, what is it that has made me so good to deserve such a thing? The answer is nothing. You know, that's our answer. Every one of us, our answer is nothing. We, we've never done anything good enough to deserve such, such love, such sacrifice. And it's Christ's example that we're to live by. And, um, you know, it just goes perfect and beautiful with this passage that we're going to be in today. And the title of this is, you know, Abiding in Christ. But the last thing I want to do is give a systematic process for you to follow on how to abide in Christ. It's not a process. There's not a checklist that you go by. It's simply a relationship. And how that relationship in Him feeds every aspect of your life and that everything that comes from you is an overflow of just knowing what Christ has done for us. And so I'm going to attempt to do that uh, as best as I can this morning. And, um, you know, and, and, and it all starts with just understanding a relationship. You know, we all have them, one kind or another. We, we talked about uh, already, we introduced uh, two anniversaries that we're celebrating today. And, you know, in those relationships, that's, the, that's an example of commitment. Um, that they will tell you today that they didn't get to where they are today on their honeymoon, even though they might have thought they did. But it was a long process of growth and, and troubles and trials and and good times and bad times that just allowed them to, to grow in each other as they grew closer to Christ. And that they just, through every single day, the ins and outs in their relationships. Their commitment, their trust, their obedience, everything was displayed daily. And that's, that's the heart of what Christ is getting at in this passage. We have deep, meaningful relationships that are to the degree of which we claim. You know, we can claim, like, I love this person, and, and it's true. I mean, it, the evidence is there that you truly love this person, and everybody around you know that they do. And then there's also the relationships that are superficial and, and surface level. You know, and I, the, when I think of it, I had a friend in, uh, growing up with and that if he would have walked by Troy Aikman and looked at him and said, hey, Troy Aikman, then uh, he would have gone around to everybody telling him, yeah, I know Troy. We go way back, you know. I saw him three years ago at the gas station, you know, to him, but he wanted everybody to think that he truly knew Troy Aikman because he said hey to him at a gas station. And whenever I think about this, uh, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding uh, phrase comes to mind. The proof in the pudding is a, is, is a new twist on a very old proverb, actually. The original version is uh, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And what it uh, meant was that you had to try out the food in order to know whether it was good. 
And just like relationships, you know, you have to look and see if those relationships are as meaningful and as, are, as deep as what they claim to be. And in the very beginning, Christ sets this out. So let me go ahead and start reading. We're in chapter 15, book of John, starting in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my father the vine dresser. Each branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, and as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love, and if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Father, I pray that your words will just ring true and just convict us and prick our hearts this morning and that we will abide in you in every part of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Right away, Jesus has made a comparison. And in the very beginning, he says that I am the true vine. And what he's comparing himself to is Israel. In the Old Testament, Israel was always referred to as the vine. And every time it was mentioned, they were referred to as a vine that was either fruitless or was producing rotten fruit. This is the last of Jesus' seven I am statements. Chapter six, he says, I'm the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world in eight. I am the gate for the sheep in chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life in 14. And I am the vine. What's remarkable is the fact that, as I said, anytime Israel is mentioned as the vine, it's always about how they're not producing the fruit. God created them to be his people and to be his representatives in the world, to subdue it and to bring about uh, his way and his love to the world. And yet over and over again, they failed. And as a result, divine judgment. 
In contrast, so such failure is Jesus' claim, I am the true vine, the vine that brings forth good fruit, the one to which Israel actually pointed. And this relationship is painted perfectly in Psalms 80. And I'll read that to you where uh, it's written, Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man on your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. So you have the vine, and Jesus is saying that God is the vine dresser. And in that short little title that's given to God, it shows us that we don't serve a God that is just a bystander in our lives, but he is an active participant. It says he does one of two things. He either cuts off the dead branches and discards them, or he prunes the ones that are bearing fruit. And you say, ask, well, what are those dead branches? It's not easy to say this, and it's actually pretty hard uh, to, to, to say this out loud, but there are people sitting in church uh, all across this world that have the title of Christian in name only. And Jesus is saying that those in me who are unfruitful will be discarded. And so it's not, a, it's not specifically talking about someone who is an unbeliever, but someone who claims to be a believer, and yet there is no evidence of their belief in their life. Because I tell you, if you claim to have met and known and had experiences with Jesus Christ, your life is going to show it. It's not going to be something that's just on the surface. It's going to be a deep, soulful change within you, and you're not going to be able to claim to know Christ if there's no evidence. And that's what he's talking about. That fruit, that fruit is the evidence in your life that you are who you say you are and you believe who you say you believe. So he casts away the unfruitful branches. And you have to ask yourself, okay, well, am I, am I a fruit-producing branch or am I an unfruitful branch? And you just have to ask yourself, can I go back throughout my life within the last two to three years and say, where's, where's God been in this? Where's God been in my life? And if you can point to periods of time where you say, I know God was there. This is where God moved me. This is where God was leading me. This is where God was convicting me. Then it shows that you have the Spirit in your life leading and guiding you. If you look back and you see absolutely nothing in your life, then you might have to just ask yourself, am I a Christian in name only? Has, have I really experienced Jesus Christ? For the fruit-producing branches, there's no way around it. I mean, it's going to happen. God is going to prune you. And if you think about any image of, of any plant, any crop, I always think of an orchard. Back at home, we have uh, peach orchards. And I'm talking about these peaches are the size of my fist. Uh, I just reminded my, my ink leaked on me just a minute ago, and I was afraid that people were going to think I was a tattooed sideshow. But 
uh, whenever I look at my hand and I think of how big those peaches are, you know, it's because of the, the cultivation that's happened. It's because they have people that are caring for those trees, those plants, and they, you might go somewhere and see where something has been pruned, something has been cut back, and you think, man, you just killed that tree. But really what was happening was they were cutting it back so that the fruit-producing portions of it would get even more nutrients and grow even more healthy, and they would produce even more fruit. And that's what God does in our lives. And I'm, it's painful in a lot of ways. We don't want to be pruned. We don't want a lot of things to be cut out. But some things just need to be cut out, need to be cut away, need to be cast off. Why? Because those are things that are sucking that life that we're receiving through Christ and that through the Spirit and those nutrients that we're getting from the vine. It's, it's sucking that away from you. It's dead. It's not producing fruit. And everybody's going to have one thing or another that's different from someone else. And you have to ask yourself, what is it that God is, is cutting out of my life or maybe I need to cut out of my life to grow closer to Him? And it's going to be different for every one of you. And I know I've, this is like probably my common theme because I grew up in, um, in a community and I never went to church, but I observed Christians. I observed the church, the people that claimed to know Christ, and there were a lot that made me think, there's no way I want a part of that. I grew up that way, and, and I mocked Christians in a lot of ways. I, I lived a life that was unchristlike, And it wasn't until God got a hold of me that he showed me what it truly looked like to have a relationship. And that was, that was through people that I actually did get to witness and people that I did get to come to know. And I saw the relationship with Christ lived out in every part of their lives. They didn't join in in all the talk or anything that was going on. They, they showed that they were different, and yet they showed the true love that comes through Christ. Not condemnation, but a a self-sacrificing, an encouraging kind of love that was truly what I was desiring to see in someone that claimed to know Christ. So, for every Christian, you're going to get pruned. There's no escape from the pruning shears of God. And if there's something that is getting cut out, and it may be painful to do so, just think that maybe God's hand is on that. And that just requires our submission to it. I said I wasn't going to give us, you know, these, do these steps, you know, do these five things, you know, here's three points to take away from this, and, and ultimately it's just going to come out in a summary of everything that's being talked about. But that would be one. If I was going to say something that we should be striving for, and that's, being submissive to the pruning shears of God in our lives. Giving up those things and, and letting the things be cut away from us, knowing that it may be painful now, and yet we know that once we get through it, that we will be producing more fruit for one purpose only. I know I just kind of left off with that part, but I'm going to get to what that one purpose is in just a second. In that verse, 
Where each branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. The transparent purpose of that verse is to insist that there are no true Christians without some measure of fruit. Fruitfulness is the unmistakable, infallible mark of a Christian. Just like in James, where um, in the letter of James, James talks about, and he gives the example of, of works and faith. He says that if, if you truly have the faith in Christ that you have, then you will know Christ for who he is and what he's done. And knowing that and experiencing that is going to be evidence because of the works that you are doing, because of the fruit in your life, that it is the overflow from that knowledge, from that faith that we have. And it's the same thing here. If you truly are abiding in Christ and loving Christ and knowing who he is, then the, uh, the fruit is just going to be a byproduct of that relationship. Abide in him so that he will abide in you. And this is actually in the translation, some may say remain in him. Mine says in the ESV, abide in him. But they mean the same thing. They're from the same Greek root word, which is mano. And that word has a sense of permanence. It's not of, hey, let's come to Jesus and let's, let's have a relationship with him until it gets difficult and uh, then I'm out. It says the mark of the true Christian is those who persevere to the end. Persevere through everything. So Jesus is saying, abide in me so that I can abide in you. No branch can have life on its own. If you think about it, what branch casts itself off of a tree and says, I'm out of here, I'm going to go do this on my own, I'm going to go produce an apple all by myself. That's just going to be dead wood. And no branch can be independent of the vine. We have to abide in Jesus. He's going to abide in us. That branch is absolutely dependent on the life and fruitfulness of the vine to which it's attached. And just as the branch is driven by the pulsating life that comes from the vine, we too are to be endlessly dependent on Jesus. Abiding in Christ means to be continually, daily, in a personal relationship with him that is proven in our trust, our prayer, and our obedience, and ultimately our joy. I mean, we're going to get to that in just a second about what that joy is and how that joy is supposed to be in our lives from all of this. Because Jesus isn't saying, like Evan was, is, was during the worship, Jesus isn't saying that I want to be a dictator in your life and you have to do these things. He's saying, I want you to be obedient. I want you to be in me. I want you to depend on me for everything that you have, for all the fruit in your life, and it's ultimately in verse 11, it says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He's not telling us to be obedient because 
He's demanding it. He's saying, I want what's best for you, and I want your joy to be full and that your joy is found through obedience. In obedience. So what is this fruit? Can this fruit be reduced to obedience and and new converts? No, it's a lot more than that. And to, to just try to say what fruit is specifically is going to reduce the passage. It's going to reduce what fruit is. According to verses 7 through 8, fruit is the consequence of effective prayer in Jesus' name and is to the Father's glory. It's everything that is the product of effective prayer, including obedience to Jesus' commands. It says that in verse 10. Jesus says, pray to me and I will give you what you need. He says to come to him and ask for what we're needing, not to do it on our own, not to be a branch that's cast itself off expecting to be able to produce the fruit apart from him. He said, pray to me. Ask me for what you need and I will joyfully, gladly give it to you. The fruit is experiencing Jesus' joy. It says to delight yourself in the Lord. Obedience is to the enjoyment of Jesus, not the cause of it. You can't say, I'm going to obey you so that I love you in order for me to enjoy you. I mean, what relationship works like that? None of our relationships work like that. Marriage doesn't work like that. Going back to the examples of today, I mean, either one of them will, will say that they did not go into, I'm going to make a vow to you to promise to obey you so that one day I will love you, right? That love is the motivating factor behind the obedience. And that obedience is just is something that you do because you find so much joy in it. We just can't think that I have to obey in order to enjoy. Thinking of that, when I'm just going over that in my head right now, and whenever I think of anybody that tries to obey in order to enjoy, it's just it just comes out as legalism. It comes out of everybody uh, as a product of, I'm just going to follow these steps in order to love you, and you're never going to achieve that. I mean, we have to understand who Christ is, and that that love for him, and that that knowing who he is and what he's done for us, the sacrifice that came through him, the the justification, and then our daily lives, how he's sanctifying us through our lives and, and through all the pruning and the growth and the development and the learning and the discipleship that goes on with brothers and sisters that we get to experience every single day, that that is what drives the obedience. It's like if I think about my children, I know that they love me and that they enjoy my love, Whenever they obey my commands, 
Because it's not that they obey me because they feel like they absolutely have to, and that's the only reason, but they do it because they don't want to disappoint me. They do it because they love for me and they respect me, and that they can't think of anything other than obeying me to prove that. You obey because nobody could ever possibly keep you from it, not because you have to. One that's kind of really hard is love for one another. I mean, he uses that as an example. He says that your love for one another is in the, you abide in my love and love for one another as I've loved the Father. You know, Christ has given himself as the ultimate example, the standard at which we're supposed to be living by. Genuine love for God ensures genuine love for his son, love that the son brings out the desire for obedience to his word. And that obedience is tested by the command to love. Love for God is verified by the love for other believers. It's impossible to love Jesus and not love our brothers and sisters. Impossible. You cannot say, I love Jesus and yet hate your neighbor. That's, for me, sometimes one of the hardest parts. It's not easy to love people. It is not easy to love people that you just don't really care for. And that's something that all of us struggle with. And it is hard for me to humble myself and somebody that I do not like and not care for, which is something I'm dealing with now, and yet I pray for them. That's hard. And yet we're called to it. And we should be praying to God that, God, I pray that you will help me to love them as you love them. I may not have to like them, but I want to love them with your heart. Because I don't want to be an example of somebody that is not extruding your love from every part of me at any time. When I think about the love and, and where it's supposed to radiate from, you know, there, Christ is the example He's the perfect example. He's the, he's the standard at which we're to live by, which we're supposed to base our faith on, what we're supposed to look to when it comes to what love looks like. I have in, uh, I read a, a devotional uh, in the mornings and evening, just literally titled Morning and Evening. It was a, a devotional that was written by Charles Spurgeon. And the, the edition that I have is, um, it was revised by a pastor I listen to a lot, Alistair Begg. And the other day, whenever it was, I think, Tuesday, it, in, in preparation all week for this sermon, um, this, this was my devotional one morning. It was on the 29th, and this was the devotional. And it sums up everything about love of Christ and, and Christ's example of love. And it's a little lengthy, but it's worth it, so just bear with me. It says, how comprehensive is the love of Jesus There is no part of his people's interest that he does not consider, and there is nothing that concerns their welfare that is not important to him. He doesn't merely think of you, believer, as an immortal being, but as a mortal being too. Do not deny it or doubt it. Even the hairs on your head are all numbered. The steps of man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. 
It would be sad for us if this covering of love did not tackle all our concerns for what mischief might be done to us in that part of our lives that did not come under our gracious Lord's protection. Believer, rest assured that the heart of Jesus cares about your smallest concerns. The breadth of his tender love is such that you may turn to him in every case. For in all your afflictions, he's afflicted. And just like a father cares for his, his children, so he cares for you. Do you think, Christian, that you can measure the love of Christ? Consider what his love has brought you. Justification, adoption, sanctification, eternal life. The riches of his goodness are unsearchable. You will never be able to convey them or conceive them. Oh, the breadth of the love of Christ, Jesus' marveling, marvelous loving kindness and tender care be met with only faint response and daily delayed acknowledgement. How can we delay our acknowledgement for what Christ has done? How can we half-heartedly give ourselves to him with one foot in and one foot out ready to escape at any moment's notice if it gets too rough or if the daily pruning that's going on gets a little too uncomfortable? As Jesus has set the example, he has called us to love, and from that love, we are called to obey through prayer, through relationship, so that we will have joy. But ultimately, all of that is done to glorify the Father. Our fruit has to emerge on mission. It has to be uh, emerge from mission, from the specific mission to which you have been set. No matter the diversity of the fruit, the focus of evangelism and mission is truly central. Fruit is nothing less than the outcome of persevering dependence on the vine, driven by faith, embracing all the believer's life and the product of his witness. That's fruit. If you're going to put it in a nutshell, that's what it is. If you were going to talk about what fruit is in your life, it's going to be everything that is driving you in your relationship that's coming out of you, that's the overflow of what you have in Christ that you depend on through your prayer and through your love for him, you obey him. And through your, obey, or your obedience comes your enjoyment so that you will glorify the Father. If I was going to say anything about abiding in Christ, that would just be it. Seek that relationship with Him. I'm not going to say read your Bible every day, which you should. I'm not going to say pray to Him unceasingly, which you should. I'm not going to say love Him with all your heart, which you should. All these things are things that we should be doing. 
And these are, ways that, these are the ways that we abide in Him in our lives. And so that we aren't one day in jeopardy of being a fruitless branch. Our relationship is withered and we truly don't know who Christ is. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that your relationship with Christ is always going to be perfect. I'm not saying that if you are struggling in a relationship, then you're an unfruitful branch. That's not what I'm saying because there's been times in my life to where I have struggled in my relationship with Christ. I have felt distance from Jesus, and that was not anything of Him, but that was simply of the sin in my life at the time. And when I submitted myself over to the pruning shears of God and that was cut out, how wonderful it was to feel back in union with Christ. This is a, a message that is abiding in Christ is something that's become almost Christianese. You know, it's, a, it's Christian language that we say, and yet sometimes we don't truly understand what it is that we're saying behind what it truly means to abide in Christ. I just want to encourage you to trust in Him and everything. Submit yourself over in all things. And love Him with everything. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank You for Your Word. And God, as we, as we came and we worshipped and we heard that song, you know, what have we done? There's, there's nothing that we've done. There's nothing that we can do. And yet, God, You call us to be active participants in this relationship that You've called us to, that You've created us for. God, I pray that you'll search our hearts, that you will, you'll show us what it is that is in our lives that needs to be pruned, that needs to be cast off. We pray for strength during the pruning process. And I pray, God, that uh, you, we just look to you as the example of what that self-sacrificing love looks like. You say that you, you, the ultimate act of love is to, to this, to give yourself up for your friends. And that's the way it's translated in this word, but it also could be translated this way. Give, this up, give yourself up for the ones that you love. And that's exactly what you displayed on the cross. And God, I pray that we, we don't go through life or through our weeks just half-heartedly giving ourselves over to you, but God, we are in full submission, coming before you and praying for your will in our lives and not our own, no matter what that looks like, no matter how comfortable it is, no matter how fearful we may be of it, but God, that we come to you and we give ourselves over to you and your will be done, not our own. God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for our brothers and sisters all over the world that are, are out there producing fruit God, we pray and lift them up to you today that you will just continue to give them strength, give them the courage that are needed to, to be there daily. And God, that their mission is no different than our own here where we are. That you've called us to miss mission and that that fruit is going to be evident in everything that we, every relationship that we have, everything that we do. 
And God, just like everything else, it's all done to glorify you. Lord, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.